Well, every year after the Psalms for summer, we uh, work through the book of Psalms in the summertime, and as we approach the fall and transition into the new uh, school year, we do a short series on what it means to be a part of New Life Church. And uh, so we are headed into that series right now. This is the, the second week of, of this series. And this year, uh, we are focusing on our church covenant. Often we talk about our church mission to engage those who are disconnected from God so they might delight in Him through Jesus. Or we will talk about our uh, values, our core values as a church, that uh, we need the gospel that we live life together, that we are missionaries, and that we serve as a team. But this year, we are focusing particularly on our membership covenant. We've said if we want to talk about what it means to be a part of New Life Church and what it means for us to have relationship with one another, then we already have a document that talks about that. It's called our membership covenant. And when you go through one of our New to New Life classes, our new members uh, class, uh, you will go through those things, uh, all of the things about what we believe and what our purposes are and our structures, and then we get down to this part and we say, okay, now, to become an official member of New Life Church, you will make a membership covenant with us. And the reason that we do that is because it is a promise of commitment. We are uh, promising to remain in relationship with one another, and we are defining what are the terms of that relationship. So as each member comes into the church, they make this commitment and say, yes, I'm signing up, I'm committing. I, just don't, I don't want to just attend here. I don't want to just hang out here. I don't just want to be blessed by this group of people, but I want to commit that I also am going to be one of the people here in this church, and I'm committing to the rest of the church and know that the rest of the church, the members of the church, have made this commitment, and I'm included in that. So we are committing as the members of the church to one another, and these are some of the things that we're committing to, that we promise by God's grace and through the, the work of the, and the indwelling presence of His Spirit that we will keep, live lives in keeping with the truth of the gospel, that we will care for and promote the purposes and unity of God's church, that we will commit ourselves to tangible relationships, and that we will uh, participate in God's kingdom-bringing mission. And there are details on each of those. Those of you who know our church covenant by heart or our member covenant by heart, go, you, you skipped some of the details there. Um, and, and that's okay. We're going to flesh those out over the next several weeks. Uh, Pastor John and Pastor Scott and I are, are working through this, and each of us has been assigned, or, or rather got to choose, one of these to focus on. And so I'm going to focus on uh, committing ourselves to tangible relationships. I, I don't know how the other guys didn't end up getting that one, but I was pretty excited that I get to do this one because this is an area of passion for me. The others are areas of passion too, but I'm excited about this one, that we commit ourselves in tangible relationships and small group communities to fulfilling the one another commands found throughout the New Testament. Now, if you are familiar with our church covenant, you know that at each point uh, in our covenant, there's this uh, parenthesis with a whole list of scriptures that emphasizes uh, this is 
um, why this is part of our commitment to one another. And so when we talk about living lives in keeping of the tr- with the truth, there's a whole list of reasons for that, li- scriptures that refer to that. And when we talk about uh, to promote the purposes and unity of God's church, there's a whole list of scriptures to go along with that. And when we talk about um, passionately participating in God's kingdom bringing mission, there's a whole list of scriptures. And the one that I was given, I was like, ooh, what are the cross-references? Which one do I get to preach on? And this is what it says, found throughout the New Testament. And I went, oh, we don't have a specific scripture or even a list of scriptures. This is just everywhere. Pick a place in the New Testament and you can talk about this. Which made it a challenge for me because I didn't have a pre-assigned list that I could work from. I just had to go searching through the scriptures and say, okay, oh, I could do it from here. Oh, I could do it from there. I could talk about it from Acts 2. That would be pretty good. Oh, I could talk about it from Romans or Galatians or Ephesians. But this is the one that I settled on. Colossians chapter 3. So if you would turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, this is what we're going to focus on, verses 12 to 17. And let me set up, while you're turning there, let me set up the context for this. At the beginning of Colossians chapter 3, in verses 1 through 4, it says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's a a great start to the uh, chapter in this book of Colossians. That he's saying, look, if you believe in Jesus, then stop focusing on the things around here. Stop looking around and putting your emphasis and your eyes on things here, but raise them heavenward. You have been forgiven. You've been redeemed. You've been made into a brand new creation through the work of Jesus. You are a new being, and so stop paying attention to this stuff and instead fix your eyes on Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian, that you would set your minds and your eyes on the things above and not the things on earth, because um, Jesus has died, and now your life is bound up in his. We've, we've given up everything so that we can be united with Christ, because he has given up everything to make it possible. He, he brings us uh, into reconciliation, into holiness with God. And so then, uh, he's, then he goes on from there to say, okay, now, if your mind is set on Christ, if you have become a Christian and your mind is set on Christ, then here are the things that you will do in keeping with being a Christian. And here's one of them, verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. What will we do if we have our minds set on Jesus, if we are Christians who are being transformed by him and we are 
keeping our minds fixed on him, what will we do? We will put on these characteristics. These are the the things that will describe us. They're the the characteristics that that will define us. And he says that we are to put them on as, as if it were a piece of clothing, that you were going to put these things on and you were going to wear them. You get up in the morning and you go, okay, what, what am I going to look like today? What do I feel like looking like today? And you go to your closet and you look at that and, and some of you go, you know, I don't really care what I look like today and this seems to be, yep, relatively clean. I put it on. And you walk out and another member of your household looks at you and goes, you're going to go out in that? That's what you're going to look like today? And others of you spend a long time considering what do I want to look like today? I mean, just in general, yes, but specifically, what do I want to look like today? And you go through and you wish that there were options that are not in the closet, but among the choices, you narrow it down and you try it on and you look at it and you go, is this, yes, I think this is probably what I want to look like today, or at least as close as I can get to it. And what he's saying here is, this is what I want you to put on. As you go to the closet and you say, what kind of a person do I want, you to, be, do I want to be today? What do I want to put on today? How do I want to express myself today? This is how I want you to think about it. I want you to think about in terms of as you're trying to define who I am today, you are God's chosen one. You are holy and beloved. Now, when I go to my closet and I look at the shirts and things that are there, there are some things that I go, okay, I feel like I'm a work in the yard kind of day. These are the clothes I'm going to put on because that says work in the yard. Or I feel like, I feel like I'm a basketball kind of a day. These clothes say, I'm an athlete. I'm going to put these clothes on. And then I have my pastor clothes and my dad clothes and my, I'm a member of the PTA clothes, you know, those kinds of things. But what, what, he, what Paul is saying to the church at Colossae is, when you're thinking about what you're going to put on, the identity that you're going to wear, you are a chosen one of God. That's who you are. You are a chosen one of God. You are holy. You are beloved. You are a Christian. You are set apart for a unique purpose to glorify and honor God. That's what it means to be holy. And that is who you are. And you are loved by God. So when you're thinking about what you want to put on, first consider this. I am chosen by God. He picked me, selected me. He made me to be holy, and He has loved me. Now, what do I want to put on? What do I want to put on? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You know, when I go to my closet and I say, what, what, what do I want to, ex- how do I want to express myself today? And I come across these, I, oh, that would be really nice. I, I wish that I could express myself this way. Do you feel that way? Like, 
you would really like to be this kind of a person? That if somebody was to look at you and say, oh, you know what they look like? They look like they are compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient. Don't you find yourself drawn to people like that? Don't you just want to be around people who are like this? Now imagine that he had said, now go to your closet and what I want you to find is is, uh, arrogant and proud and rude. Would you put that on? And suddenly I'm like, wait, um, you know, that might actually define me closer to what these do, but that's not what I want to put on. And that's certainly not the kind of person I want to be around. As I'm thinking through my friends, who who would I like to be with today? The ones that are arrogant and proud and rude are, are sort of lower on the list for me. I'm not as enthusiastic about spending time with them. But those who are compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient, I delight to spend time with them. And I'm sure you know people that match this description, even as I'm talking about it. You have somebody in your mind that fits this description. And you go, I really like to be with that person. I really like to be with that person. It's the kind of person that I want to be around. Next week, Pastor John is going to be talking more about living lives, holy lives, in keeping with the gospel. And he'll dive more into that, into the characteristics of what a Christian is like and, and, and how we do that. He'll dive into that next week. But this week, I just want to highlight that this is the character of a person. But then, what does that look like? How does it play itself out? What, I mean, it's, it's nice to say that we want to be kind and humble and meek and patient. But what does it actually look like as you put boots on the ground? What does that look like, right? When it's not just some idea. Verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You know, when, when I hear about living in perfect harmony, and when I think about uh, people who are compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient, and I, I, I think about that kind of a community, the image that comes to my mind is some sort of uh, like laid-back, chill, like hippie, we just kind of love each other, and it's, we're unified, and it, like, it, 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 it kind of has that idea in my mind that... that that, is that what we're talking about? Is that what the church should be? Just sort of this, we just love one another and embrace one another. And, it's, and then he talks about, so this is what this, if, if you have a compassionate heart and kind, you're kind and humble and meek and patient, then here's what this is going to mean. You're going to bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, you're going to forgive each other. Wait, I thought we were supposed to be humble and meek and kind and gentle. I thought we were supposed to be living in harmony with one another. What's this whole deal about forgiveness and bearing with one another and putting up with each other? I don't want to have to put up with anybody. I don't want to have to put up with you. I want to enjoy you. I want you to be humble and meek and gentle so that I like being with you. And if you're not, go away. 
And then Paul says, so what this means, if you're going to be humble and meek and compassionate and kind and gentle and patient, then you're going to have to bear with one another when they aren't. And when they offend you or wrong you, you're going to have to forgive them. Because what the reality is, is there's not this sort of perfect community out there where everybody just happens to get along and be perfectly aligned, but rather you're working together to figure it out. And as each of you is growing in these Christ-like characteristics, and as you are working together to figure out how we relate to one another in a, com in a community, then it gets sweeter and sweeter. I have some musicians in my family, and I have some aspiring musicians in my family. And here's one of the things that I know about harmony. You have to have somebody who is a capable musician paired with someone who is also a capable musician, and they have to practice together so that it makes beautiful harmony. Because otherwise, what you have is a poorly played note alongside another poorly played note. But as these notes get played better, and these notes get played better, it sounds better. And the more those musicians play together, the more they listen to each other, and they're not just in tune because my tuner says so, and why doesn't it sound right? You must be doing something wrong because my tuner says, that's a perfect A. But we're talking about harmonies being exact intervals between notes. And so you have to play and I have to play and we have to match one another so that it sounds harmonious, like one sound. And when we get really good at that, we can add a third note or a fourth note or a fifth note, or a chamber orchestra, or an entire orchestra, and we can have a harmony where we are playing complex pieces in rapid succession, notes running up and down the scale, and each playing at the exact right time so that it makes beautiful music together, and you are there and observing it and saying, this is the kind of community that I want to be a part of. But you're not going to jump straight to that. You have to work through it. You have to become, look, if we come in and we are not um, perfectly compassionate, kind, humble, meek, and patient, then we're not going to have a beautiful sounding orchestra. We're, we have to work on that. And if we haven't worked together, we haven't worked out all of the things that make us work. This is one of the things that I have experienced. It is one of the joys and frustrations of serving on an elder team. I'm going to just call out Rick and Andy because they're sitting right in front of me. I have a great relationship with each of these men and have served on elder teams with both of them, and they've served on an elder team together, the three of us. And we have frustrated each other no end. But we trust one another and we work together, and we work through those things so that we can be in harmony. I have seen the same thing in life groups, where people come into a life group and they go, a bunch of weirdos in this group. 
I don't want to be here. If I were going to pick a group of people to hang out with, this is not necessarily the group that I would pick. But then you spend a little bit of time together. And you have someone who is compassionate come alongside you, put their arm around you, pray with you, comfort you. And you go, oh, this is kind of nice. I, I like this. I like this kind of community. And after a little while, the group starts to gel together and you go, I, I really want to be here. I really want to be with this group of people. And you start walking through some difficult life things together and you go, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have my life group, if I didn't have my people with me. I don't know how other people do this alone. That's the beauty of the community. That's the beauty of working together. That's the beauty of developing and growing into who Christ has called us to be. But it doesn't happen just on accident. And it doesn't happen immediately. It takes time to work itself out and to, to get to a place where we can do that. We have to bear with one another and, and go, oh my goodness. Can you believe how it went tonight? We met as a life group and that was painful. And you might have to go around later and have a conversation with somebody and go, okay, you know that was painful, right? Because what you said really offended that other person. And then you have to go to the other person and go, okay, I know, I know that was painful and I know that what they said offended you. but we're going to bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, we're going to forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven us, so also we must forgive. That doesn't mean we just ignore it, right? There was an issue there. Somebody said something, and there was a problem, and there, there was an issue there. We're not going to ignore that and go, well, I forgave them, and so we don't have to talk about it. No, let's talk about it. Let's be the kind of place, the kind of community where we can talk about the issues that we have because we're not going to get to harmony on the other side unless we do. We have to talk about it. We have to work through it. And it's a painful process. You know, when you're talking with a new musician and they're going, this is so frustrating. Every time I know what I'm supposed to do and my fingers don't do it. Yes, that's practicing. That's why we practice. Because if anybody could just do it, just because they knew what they were supposed to do, everyone would play a musical instrument. I would play a musical instrument. And I could be really good at it. But it can't be that. You have to practice it. You have to work on it. And when you do, that is when it becomes beautiful. That is when it becomes good. The context that we most often do this in, the, the official context that we talk about this, and I've already mentioned it, is life groups. That, that's the way that we do it. Now, it doesn't have to be a life group. That's our official uh, uh, structure 
for living life together. Because when you come in on Sunday morning, we like you and we love that you're here. But this is not one hour on Sunday morning where the life of the church happens. Where the life of the church happens is in the relationships that we have with one another. Some of them informal, some of them formally within the context of a life group. But that's where the life of the church happens. That's where the true worship happens. That's where the true growth happens. That's where the true support and bearing with one another. That's where the real, what we call life on life happens. And when we talk about life groups, one of the things that we talk about is we want to be so close to one another that we frustrate each other. Not because we really like frustration, but we, because we really like what comes after frustration. If you get to the point where uh, you're close enough that you frustrate each other, I mean, if you have siblings or parents or somebody that you have lived in the same house with, have you ever been frustrated with the person that you live in the house with? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to step on each other's toes because we're too close. So we figure that out. And then what happens is as we learn to bear with one another and have some give and take and some understanding of one another so that I understand where you're coming from and I understand your backstory and your context and the things that are your hot buttons and the things that um, are your wounded areas that, that I didn't mean to press that but I did and I didn't even know. We want to get to the place where we know each other well enough that we start going, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot about that. I, I didn't mean to set you off like that. I didn't mean to um, hit you like that. I was not thinking. And we work through that. And it becomes beautiful. And I have seen this kind of community where people leave the church and they come back because this is where they want to be. And I've seen the kind of community where people uh, weep because they miss it or they weep because it was missing and they came back to it. And I've seen people lift one another up and bear through uh, with one another when they're going through all kinds of things. But how would we do this? How can we do this? In verse 15, it goes on like this. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Look, I can be well-intentioned and I can decide I am going to be a humble, compassionate, meek, and patient person. And then I leave my bedroom and interact with other people and I totally forget my intentions for the day. But here is the, the work that Jesus has done. Jesus has said, I have made you to be a new creation. I have removed your sin. I have given you peace with God so that there can be peace in your soul. And because there is peace in my soul, then I begin to express the characteristics of Jesus. So that as the peace of Christ rules in my heart, then we can be called, all of us, each as individuals to Christ, but in one body. 
right? We are in this together. We are called to this together. If you look through the descriptions of being compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient, and you say the way that that expresses itself is to bear with one another, and if someone has a complaint against you, forgive each other, you recognize that I can't do this on my own. I cannot become what Christ has called me to be by myself. The idea that I can be a Christian but I don't need the church is false. It's false. You cannot become like Christ and not be a part of a community of Christ. It's not possible. That's why when we say that we follow the one another commands throughout the New Testament, it's because there is no thought that you could possibly be alone as a Christian. That it would be this personal thing that you just do in the quiet of your house with no one around. Now, there is definitely a place that we are alone in our house, just us and God, and we have that kind of communion with God. But if we are going to become all that He has called us to be, we, that cannot be sufficient. We have to have the community of believers. We have to be life on life with each other. And then the peace of Christ will rule in our hearts to which we were called in this one body and we will express our thanks to Him. When we are letting the peace of Christ rule in us and we are thankful for what He has done for us, then we can be humble. Then we can be kind. Then we can be patient. That's the way that we are able to do this. Let the word, it says in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Do you feel like you've already got it all together? Do you feel like if you're a Christian, you shouldn't need to be corrected? You already know what to do. You don't need somebody to tell you what to do. Do you feel like if you come to church and you're around other Christians, no one should have to tell them what to do. They should already be doing it. Wouldn't that be lovely? Unfortunately, it doesn't work. We need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the influence of other Christians around us to point out the things that we need to know. Hey, you know, that note is a little flat. If you raise it up just a little bit, then we can play in harmony. You're playing the third there. You really should play the fifth. That, that would really sound better here. We, we need that kind of influence on each other. We need somebody who is, is uh, bringing us together and through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can hold each other accountable and point out those issues in love, in patience, and compassionately, but we can point out those things and we can help each other grow into what Christ has called us to be. I, I was reading a book recently and I was reminded of this book because I was watching the Olympics over the last few weeks and I was watching the rowing in the Olympics, and to me, uh, rowing was not that interesting until I got a rowing machine, 
And then I started watching the rowing and go, oh, okay, I see what they're doing there. And, and then I, but it reminded me of this book that had been recommended to me. And this book is called Boys in the Boat. Some of you I can tell, oh, yeah, I've read that book. And in, in Boys in the Boat, it's about the University of Washington uh, rowing team and their journey to uh, becoming a team and then going and complete, competing in the Olympics and how that team worked together. But one of the things about the rowers is it's not about one rower working powerfully. One rower working powerfully um, is fine, but when you put six or eight rowers in a boat, they have to work together. Because if one rower is off, the whole boat suffers. It, it talks in the book about rowing and how one guy, they would call it catching a crab, which means he missed the stroke or his, it, it splashed, it, it, he got off rhythm, and it would throw the whole boat off. The whole boat would slow down because one guy caught a crab. The whole boat would slow down. And then they would have to figure out maybe the coxswain, the person who's barking the orders, you know, that little person that's not doing any work except yelling at all the people who are doing all the work. The, the, the thing that they are doing is they're barking out the cadence, row, 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 so that all of the rowers row together in, in symphony. Here, here's a quote from the book that as the coach, the, Joe is one of the, the main characters and one of the rowers, the coach is, is talking to him, and he suggested that Joe think of a well-rowed race as a symphony and himself as just one player in the orchestra, if one fellow in an orchestra was playing out of tune or playing at a different tempo, the whole piece would be playing out of tune or playing at a, uh, the whole piece would naturally be ruined. That's the way it is with rowing. What mattered more than how hard a man rowed was how well everything he did in the boat harmonized with what the other fellows were doing. And a man couldn't harmonize with his crewmates unless he opened his heart to them. He had to care about his crew. He had to be completely open with them. He was telling him this because Joe was holding back and not being honest with the other boys about what was going on in his own personal life. And he's going, you've got to open up with them. You have to work with them. You have to be in harmony with them because no matter how hard you row, if you are not in perfect harmony, if you are not trusting those other guys in the boat, it won't matter. But if you're rowing in the boat and you are in perfect sync with everybody else and you get to that place where you're all rowing at the exact cadence with the same power and the same strength and you're all pushing in exactly the same direction, completely synchronized, they call it, they hit their swing. They found their swing. It was that perfect symphony and it was like music moving across the water. They couldn't be beat when they found that. We are trying to find that here. We're not there yet. We're not there all the time. But we're trying to find it. That we might work together and that we might find our swing to the glory of God so that when we're working together, it sings like music. That everything we would do is to the glory of God. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That we might do this together, we might do this corporately, that we might praise him together. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Isn't that the kind of community that you want to be a part of? Isn't that the kind of life that you would like to live? I would invite you to commit. And if you have already committed to, to uh, say, yes, I want to participate fully in this. I, I want to open myself up and not try and guard and hold back anymore, and I recognize the dangers in doing that, but it is when we open ourselves up and we work together that then we can find our swing, and it becomes wonderful. That's what we want. We are not yet a perfect community, but we're getting there, and we've got some pretty great rowers in this boat. And sometimes when we're working together, it sings. It's really wonderful. And I would invite you to join into that. Here's what I see too often. I see people jump into a boat. Maybe they grab an oar. Maybe they don't. They splash around a couple of times and they go, this boat has no swing. I want a boat that swings. Find me a church that swings. I want to be in a church where there is harmony. And so they leave. Because they came in and they went, no swing here. No harmony here. I'm not feeling harmonious. Buddy, look in the mirror. What clothes did you put on this morning? What expression of yourself did you bring into this place? If you want to find harmony, if you want to find swing here, we're going to have to do that together. It doesn't happen by itself. It doesn't happen on accident. And it doesn't happen if we're not trying. We have to work through it. We have to frustrate each other so that we get to the swing. We can't find instant harmony. It's just not there. Here's how, one last quote from the book. Immediately after the race, even as they were uh, coasting beyond the finish line, an expansive sense of calm had enveloped him. In the last desperate few hundred meters of the race, in the searing pain and bewildering noise of that final furious sprint, there had come a singular moment when Joe realized with startling clarity that there was nothing more he could do to win the race beyond what he was already doing. Nothing except for one thing. He could finally abandon all doubt, trust absolutely without reservation that he and the boy in front of him and the boys behind him would all do precisely what needed to be done at precisely the instant they needed to do it. He had known in that instant that there could be no hesitation, no shred of indecision. 
he had had no choice but to throw himself into each stroke as if he were throwing himself off of a cliff into a void with unquestioned faith that the others would be there to save him. That is what it means to really be a part of a church. That is what it means to really be a member of a church. If that was true for this rower, how much more for us that we have to get to this place where we trust one another so much that we are just throwing ourselves into it going, if they don't catch me, I'm just going to fall flat on my face, but I trust that everybody is going to do what it takes and we are going to find our swing together. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that it is not up to us, that it is not up to our strength, that it is not up to our individual abilities or character, but, by the, by, but that by the blood of Jesus we have been rescued from our sin and brought into community with one another. And that no matter how hard we work, we will be far more effective in bringing glory to Christ when we work together. And that as we grow, we will be more and more like Him and the harmony between us will be more and more sweet to Your praise, to Your glory that more and more people might come in and see who you are and say, what a great community this is. There must be a God at work here. Lord, we ask for this. We ask for this for our own pleasure and delight, and we ask for it for your pleasure and delight, that you might be praised in all that we think and do and say, in Jesus' name, amen.